So students of the Bible know that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each tell the story of Jesus and basically agree on the trajectory of his life. The first three are called the Synoptic Gospels because they share many of the same stories, although not identically, and follow a somewhat similar sequence. John is a much more densely theological book. Now those present who are less familiar with these texts might find it interesting to know that the stories about Jesus' birth are only found in, go ahead, be brave, Matthew and Luke. Was that you, Ned? I think it was. Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't know anything about a virgin birth in a manger since there was no room for them in an inn. Luke is especially interested in Mary and her cousin Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Luke's the one that writes about the shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping, their, keeping watch over their flocks by night, and the angelic host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. Matthew is more keyed in on Joseph and tells the story of the mysterious Magi from the East and the Holy Family's escape as refugees into Egypt for fear of King Herod. These birth vignettes from Matthew and Luke are blended together in our mindset, in our cultural mindset, and they form what we have come to know as the beloved Christmas story. But you won't find this narrative as you know it, anywhere in the Bible, only in picture books and carols. I point this out as a simple reminder that underneath the sentiment of this season, prompting a great fascination with you know, cut evergreen trees and round-bearded men dressed in red flannel and the incessant clamoring for lots of material stuff. Underneath all of that lies a rather complicated and far more compelling story than what's served up by the culture at this time of year. Now, I'm no Christmas curmudgeon. Uh, up to a point, I love the seasonal trappings like the next guy, but I want to restate the obvious. The so-called holiday season has warped way beyond its origins. And by the way, that would be true whether we insist on saying Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays. Amazon and Walmart, I tell you, are not dependent upon anyone's piety to accomplish their ends. The fact is, as you probably know, it is very hard to find the so-called true meaning of Christmas anywhere beyond these walls. Culturally, we've moved way, way beyond that. The feast of the birth of Christ was never about the exchange of gifts. It wasn't until the 19th century that custom took hold in the U.S., but you know how this has been deformed beyond recognition through the capitalist necessity of driving forward an economy based on massive addictive consumption. The more the merrier, ho, ho, ho. 
This consumerist piety long ago captured the world's fealty, where more is not only merrier, but even seemingly morally better. And much more is much, much better, full speed ahead. How much was the Mega Millions and Powerball jackpots this week? Did I buy a ticket? Well, on the spur of the moment, I confess, passing a news kiosk, I did. And I don't even believe in the lottery. It is terrible social policy. It's a regressive tax. Do I lack for anything? Need any necessity? That these jackpots accumulate during our Advent season nails this disruptive character of the story that lays at the heart of the Christian faith, namely God entering the human scene in a brand spanking new way. And here's the thing. According to Matthew, this wasn't simply another round of eggnog among friends. It didn't involve a Norman Rockwell Christmas tableau. The actual story is a tough sell given our sentimental and capitalist tendencies. You know, the ancient law called for the death penalty when a woman committed adultery. I don't know if you know that. By rabbinic practice over the centuries intervening, that penalty had been reduced to divorce and public disgrace by the time of Joseph. Matthew reports that Joseph was a, quote, righteous man, unquote, meaning he wanted to, you know, reasonably protect Mary from humiliation while still getting out of the marriage. He didn't want to impose an unnecessary hardship. Certainly within his rights to play out his role as the aggrieved party, Joseph chose another way, the way of trust and love, in response to a dream, no less. He takes Mary as his wife, after all, and receives her child as his own. This is a very small act, isn't it, in comparison to the size of the decisions within the range of Augustus Caesar or Herod the king. But a small act that changed the world nevertheless. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the juxtaposition of the large, seemingly consequential decisions among the world's power brokers and the small, seemingly unimportant decision of a simple man caught in a personal dilemma. And then the way the story has it, discovering that God was not cavorting in human affairs on the scale of Caesar, but in the birth of this single out-of-the-way child. You know, this is one of the reasons this story has hung around for as long as it has. This revelation that while the world's powerful gyrating egos play out their narcissistic dramas, holding populations hostage to their whimsies, God slips in to reveal how real power manifests in the world. Considering our current state of affairs, we should be paying very close attention here. 
Oh my, have we ever been swamped with gyrating narcissistic egos of late? Our media is flooded with them, aren't they? Creating a cacophony of noise and distraction. But today, today, in here, we zero in on a small story that actually matters a lot. It actually matters a lot. This bit of information is a lot more important than other bits. Miss this bit from all of the other bombarding bits and you'll miss a whole mess of other really important truths. I'd go so far as to say you'll miss what it means to be human in the highest and best sense. It occurred to me this week that in Joseph, we have the character in the Christmas story who is most like us. It's easy to imagine him trying to get to sleep after learning about his fiancée's pregnancy, spent, exhausted from anger and humiliation, grappling with his conscience, tossing and turning, unable to find the right position that will give him peace. Do you ever have sweaty nights like that? I have. In his restlessness, a dream angel whispers in his ear. Victimized by circumstance beyond his control, Joseph is presented with a variation of life he would not have chosen for himself. Trapped by his options, yet surprisingly wanting to do the right thing. Barbara Brown Taylor suggests the whispering angel says something like this. Joseph, don't be afraid. God is here. It may not be the life you had planned, but God will be born here too, if you permit it. So Joseph does the unexpected thing. On the face of it, he takes the more difficult path, the narrow road, as Jesus will describe it about 30 years later. Joseph will take Mary's predicament on himself, and together they will give birth to love. That is a very powerful idea. And foreshadows the kind of love Jesus will embody and teach. Love means at least this. No one stands outside God's grace. No one. No circumstance is beyond God's grace. None. And everyone is welcome to God's table. Everyone is related to the sacred lineage by adoption as Jesus the refugee was. And everyone can be made pregnant with love by God. The story does not tell us how Joseph's relatives and friends responded to his magnanimity, but given human behavior, 
We could imagine it wasn't pretty. Not only would Joseph be shamed, but his family as well. So as the story is told, God's entry into the world, get this, was disruptive to the religious and cultural protocols of the day. Imagine that. Even God disrupts the religious protocols of the day. God broke the rules, as it were, of religion. At least that's how the story reads. That's how it reads. The birth happened disruptively, requiring Jesus' parents to learn and adapt, to live in a spirit of compassionate regard for one another. Jesus' life depended upon this, and so it has always been for orphans and refugees and the dispossessed of every sort. Jesus' arrival in the world was inconveniently troublesome. And so it has always seemed when God's truth comes a-calling, requiring people to change and grow into God's limitless love. In a burst of disruptive insight, the medieval Christian mystic Meister Eckhart came to understand that we are all meant to be mothers of God. What good is it to me if this eternal birth of the divine Son takes place unceasingly, but does not take place within myself? And what good is it to me if Mary is full of grace and if I am not also full of grace? What good is it to me for the Creator to give birth to his Son if I do not also give birth to him in my time and in my culture, this then is the fullness of time when the Son of God is begotten in us. That is an extremely important bit of mystical wisdom I would tell you that's it. That is the heart of the matter that we are meant to take on in this season of the year, at this time in our own lives and in our own nation. How shall we give birth to God? That is to say, birth to love in our own lives.